Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. One of the reasons why I created the Fraudology podcast was to share information with other fraud fighters. We're all sprinkled and scattered throughout the world and focused on different areas, verticals, different perspectives of online fraud. But it's so important for us to feel and stay connected and to share information with each other, both on the basics and the fundamentals, as well as new information and new fraud trends and what's going on and how people are solving for this problem or working on that problem, et cetera. And ever since I can remember, there has been a need in this industry for a comprehensive book, just really for that foundational knowledge. How do we learn what the issues are in our company? How do we learn what we don't know? Uh, What are the methodologies we should be using? And really, up until fairly recently, it's been a choose-your-own-adventure type thing. Depending on where you worked, I've joked over the years that becoming a fraud fighter is just never-ending OJT, which stands for on-the-job training. But there's been a need for so much more, and there still is a need for so much more, and I hope that I can be continue to be one of the people to help fill that need. But in addition to this podcast and online trainings that I've created and the organizations that work for this purpose as well, there's never really been a solid resource that just can provide fundamental information for how do we find the specific problems in our, in, within our company? How do we learn what we don't know? How do we look and what do these different signals within data tell us about problems we have, et cetera, until now. And I am very excited that I got to speak with the two authors of the latest book that I think I I legitimately believe should be and is quickly becoming the go-to resource for all fraud and trust and safety teams internationally within fintech, within e-commerce, within banking. It's just, it's really well done. And the title of the book is Practical Fraud Prevention, Fraud and AML Analytics for Fintech and E-Commerce Using SQL and Python. It's published by O'Reilly Publishing, and it's written by Galit Saporta and Shoshana Marini. Not only are these two women incredible writers of this book, but they're also two people that I consider my friends, and I'm really looking forward to the greater and industry learning more about them and learning from them and their experiences, both through this podcast episode as well as through their book. And truth be told, O'Reilly reached out to me in March of 2020 to see if I would have any interest in writing a comprehensive book on using analytics for online fraud. But for many reasons, I didn't think I was the right person to write it. And I I still stand by that in part because because I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I gave myself a lot of excuses, such as I'm not as technical as I thought the author should be. 
I hadn't been on the front lines for years as a fraud fighter. I was also going through a lot personally, in addition to there being an impending pandemic coming just, I think, the pandemic actually started about a week or two after they first contacted me. Someone very important in my life was passing away. And I just knew that with everything else going on top of that, th this just wasn't the time for me. But I wanted to help them find the right person or people to write this book. And I gave it a lot of thought. And two names just kept coming to mind. And that was Galitza Porta and Shoshana Marini. They... I got to meet both of them in Tel Aviv when I was invited to attend FraudCon at the University of Tel Aviv in 2019. I believe it was the end of June. I want to say it was June or July. They just became instant friends, but also we were kindred spirits very quickly. You guys have probably all experienced this as well. There's something about meeting other fraud fighters that there's just this instant connection. Beyond fraud, there's a lot of similar personality traits and just mutual respect. And also, their background just really spoke to this so much more than I thought I could do the book justice. Galit's experience in training hundreds of literally the best fraud fighters in the world during her times at Fraud Sciences, which then was purchased by PayPal and she was at PayPal for many years, Forder, and then the crypto company Simplex. She's now at Double Verify working on ad fraud. And Shoshana is a really gifted writer on fraud and has worked in the fraud space for close to a decade. And it's not easy to speak to fraud fighters in a way that we understand and trust with passion for this industry the way Shoshana has it. She's a really interesting perspective. The way that both of them look at and think about fraud is something that I think everyone will really appreciate and learn from. So in this interview about both of these talented authors and fraud fighters, we talk about a few different things that I think you all will be interested in hearing, including their mission and experience in writing the first comprehensive book on e-commerce and fintech fraud using data analytics, the unexpected challenges and lessons that they learned while writing this book, some of the themes and topics you can expect to learn in practical fraud prevention, and how they took their own medicine, so to speak, when it came to utilizing a strategy that they strongly recommend in the book, and that is collaboration. There were several other exceptional fraud fighters interviewed for this book. I was lucky and humbled to be one that contributed here and there. I also got to write the foreword, which just was really an honor for me. They both of them are just so humble. And I think you'll hear that in this interview, but they're also really brilliant. And you'll also hear that in this interview. <laughs> Two quick notes on the book. One is if you'd like to see the full table of contents prior to purchasing the book, it can be found on the O'Reilly website and also on the main site for the book, which is www.practicalfraudprevention.com. All one word. From what I understand, Amazon doesn't have the table of contents. You can order the book through Amazon, but it doesn't have the table of contents on the site. So they wanted to make sure that I shared that with you so you can see a peek of all that's covered. And when I say it's comprehensive, I'm not being hyperbolic. It's there's always so much more and rabbit holes we can go down and all that other stuff. But like this is exactly what this industry needs. And I just can't say that more emphatically. Also, it was very important to both of the authors to donate 50% of their royalties to UNICEF. They both just have a heart for humans in addition to fraud fighting. 
They worked with O'Reilly to have the proceeds go directly to UNICEF's global fund before anything goes to the authors. So that maximizes as much that could go to the charity without taxes and repatriation and all that stuff. So I want to make sure that both of those things are in your mind as you listen to my conversation with both Galit Saporta and Shoshana Marini. I think you'll enjoy it. But first, an ad from this week's sponsor. While at the MRC conference in Vegas last month, I got to speak with a friend that works for a large online marketplace and heard how excited he was about using Spectrus and the possibilities to create a multifaceted risk stack. He's rarely excited about new vendors in the space. And so that made me really intrigued. And since I always want to know what's new in the space, I made a point to meet with Nate and Patrick, the co-founders of Spectrust. Nate and Patrick have been in the fraud space for years, earning themselves a great reputation in the industry. Spectrust was created after they listened to the needs of some of the biggest enterprise brands. Enterprise merchants continually cited lack of engineering resources as one of the biggest challenges in staying up to date on counter fraud measures. As fraud continues to gain sophistication, enterprise merchants need to be able to pivot quickly to keep up. And this is where Spectrust's Fraud Defense Cloud comes in. It's an invisible overlay that automatically analyzes every customer interaction on your websites and applications. The best part about Spectrust Fraud Defense Cloud is that it's truly no code. You can get up and running immediately without any cost to your engineering team. Check out the Fraud Defense Cloud with an exclusive offer to Fraudology listeners over at spec, that's S-P-E-C-Trust.com forward slash Fraudology. Lee and Shoshana, welcome to Fraudology. I am so excited for my listeners to get to know you both better and to learn about the amazing resource for the online fraud community that you've both created. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Absolutely. I probably mentioned this before this interview as well, but I got to meet both of you in person back in July of 2019 uh, when I went to Tel Aviv for FraudCon, which Galit is a big part of the production of. And I think it was just an instant friendship. I just adore you both so much. So I... It was so mutual. It was so exciting. (laughs) Like, yay! We made a new friend. I made a couple new friends. It doesn't... I know it's almost three years ago, but... I had no idea what I was going to or anything. It just like instant friend connection. I remember being in Jerusalem with Galit as she took one of her days off on her weekend to take myself and another American to Jerusalem with our yeah, other Paula friend. Yes, Ken Paula and Lori Rivner. And I remember looking at you and I think I even told you, I feel like we've just become like we've known each other our whole lives. It was very cheesy, but it just felt true. So anyway, I am excited for my listeners to get to know you both. and. And to really get to know you both through reading your book too. Sounds surreal, but yeah, it's a... Yeah, it's only starting to sink in that it's actually out now. You've both been working on it. Yeah, for over almost two years now. 22 months start to finish. Yeah, it was a long project. Yeah, Yeah. I actually looked up the intro email that (laughs) you, Carice, it's all thanks to you, really. That's Um, right. Yeah, and when you introduced me to to the publishing folks at uh, Rhinely, and that was two years ago, almost to the day, two years and uh, one day. Ago. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's about right. Unfortunately, early part, April. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
unfortunately, part of the reason I, I remember that is because I had a, a family member that was close to dying at that time. And so and that was one of the reasons I, I just couldn't take it on amidst everything else with the pandemic just starting. But we thought that would just blow over in a week or two and everything else. But I knew I wasn't the right person for a lot of reasons, but I knew it would be in such good hands with you both. And it's been really fun for me to just be on the sidelines and not have to do all the hard work that you did, but get to share in the excitement and the joy of there finally being a book in online fraud prevention to be used as a resource. And you feel that maybe what we did was just uh, writing the prequel to uh, someday uh, you'll get to release the fraudology uh, anthology, maybe. Fraudology anthology. Like it. Nice, (laughs) Glee. We'll see. I don't know if I can sit still long enough. That might be a good thing. (laughs) So you have uh, been the most amazing support and cheerleader though throughout this whole process. We are very grateful. An inspiration and a a ray of light. I remember that back then, April 2020, the two of us were talking about shortage in toilet paper and groceries were running out all around and that the ability to plan ahead and think about a writing project that turned out to be so much fun together Mm -hmm. with Shoshana, Mm -hmm. I could really couldn't have wished for anything better in terms of an experience to give you perspective about the day-to-day. That's a really, really good point. So before we dive into the book, I'd love for uh, us to get to know you a little bit. Shoshana, I'll start with you first, and that way listeners will get used to your voice versus Galit's as well. How did you land in online fraud prevention and what do you love about it? So I think almost everybody that I've met in fraud prevention, I did not intend to go into the industry of fraud prevention. (laughs) I was looking around a number of jobs and many of them were in cybersecurity. But at that time, fraud prevention didn't stand out to me in any particular way. And I had these interviews at Forta. Everybody I met was not only like intelligent and fun and nice to talk to, they were so enthusiastic about their job. You could feel it in the air. They were so fascinated and it was really gripping. And then I met um, Michael Wrightback, who's the, the CEO of Forza. At this time, it was still a very small company. I think I was employee number 42, which I liked very much because he happened to be a fan of Douglas Adams. It's a nice number. And so you, as part of the process, you always met a founder. And it was supposed to be like a 40 minute interview or something. And we ended up talking for about an hour and a half about fraudsters and how this worked. And it's like, yeah, so guess what the, the one of the most popular items to steal this month is. I was like, I, I know, a luxury handbag, watch. I don't know. He's like, City Minis, the Strollins. And I was like, no, did not guess that. And then <laughs> plenty of this work. And then we were talking about the economics and the ROI and how this works. And I came out of the interview and I was like, I have to do this. I, I have to work in this industry. There is so much. And I like, it just hooked me. And I've never looked back from it. The people are fantastic and they're so good at, I think this is the biggest thing I love. I, I, I do love the, the fraud side of it. I, ha- I, I admit to being a little bit, I don't know, occasionally emotionally inclined to cheer the fraudsters, occasionally a tiny little bit, just because it's so clever. Obviously you want to stop them, but oh, come on, it's so, it's so fun. But the thing, the thing I really love about the industry is the fraud fighters. There's just something really unique about the community and like the, the caliber of the people is incredible and they want to work together. Like they want to help each other out. There's this really strong community feeling that it's all of us against all of them being the fraudsters. And obviously I see this on a kind of a professional level now because I work at Identic and that's the nature of the company, but 
it's everywhere in the industry, like on even through personal connections and like in introductions, like Carice, you are the unofficial queen of collaboration in, in this industry. So you know how this works. Like people are just so willing to help total strangers just because they're all on the same side. And yeah, that being on that side is very nice. When my kids are asked what their mum does, they say, oh, she helps to catch thieves. My I'm kids like, say the same. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll take it. It's not totally true, but I'll take it. I want that. <laughs> it, I it, is very, it is very true. You write amazing articles and obviously this book and you create roundtables and the other things that you've done since I've known you for sure. You there's it's a sports team, right? It's not just because the people out on the field are playing sports. It doesn't mean that everyone else around them, the doctors, the coaches, the staff, et cetera, aren't just as important because if they the support people weren't there, then the the sports players couldn't do their job as well. So it really is important. And your kids are so much well, I shouldn't say smarter, but when my daughter was young, she told people that I caught frogs for a living. So <laughs> there was a frog catcher. That was like when she was three or four. And then <laughs> then it was she catches bad guys on the computer. Right. But it's so true. And I I obviously couldn't agree with you more about just the amazing parts of this community and industry. And there's something about having a common purpose. And even if we work for competitors or, or across the world, et cetera, there's just mm. this instant connection between us. Also, I think there's a lot of similar personality and mm. just br like our brains think the same trait, our same kind of traits in a lot of fraud fighters. So it's just we can go deep really fast and feel like we've known each other forever, whether we're talking about fraud or our families or life. It's just, I think it's all similar. Yeah. I think there's something really to that would be a good podcast. I think, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've really driven into that much. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> so Galit, same question for you. How did you get started in fraud and what do you love about it? Start with what I love because I can just steal Shoshana's words and, and completely agree. The community, the energy of the people and that ability to walk a mile in the fraudster's shoes, to, to be the storyteller who has to envision the different strategies that some of the attackers are taking in 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 what's essentially their battle for survival. These are very often people who have very good reasons to go into financial crime. How did I end up here? I had very realistic dreams of becoming a theater director when I first went into a university degree or first degrees and to pay for that, to pay for university, I had to find uh, some kind of uh, night shift, some kind of activity that, and, and I was lucky enough to find a student position for a company called Fraud Sciences that was later acquired by PayPal. That was back in 2005, right when I finished my mandatory idea service. And so... It was a, a pioneering startup and it felt that way. I was the, one of the first w women in the team, I mean, the company. And, and I remember that on the first uh, occasion that I had to stay over for the only person in the office to stay over for my first night shift at the office to manually review suspicious transactions. Then the CEO at the time, Sarah Will, came over and said, it's the first time that we have a girl staying, a girl staying over for the night. So just to make sure, since we know that, there, that this isn't the safest neighborhood, I'll leave something for you for self-protection. And he said, I think I have an axe uh, somewhere. 
Doesn't even a fire axe. I think he meant it like a battle axe that he probably had for I don't know why. And I was terrified, obviously. And that was really good the axe. <laughs> or that why was... your CEO had an axe. There's so many questions. <laughs> You're like, I like to fight. I, I like to identify and fight bad guys through a computer, not in real life. I'm a keyboard warrior, not the other guy. <laughs> So yeah, Sarah Wolf and Shibatsu Kid were the, the two co-founders of Fraud Sciences were really what you would picture as these mad science geniuses that were able to achieve some of the breakthroughs of fraud prevention. And I think that if you talk to people who had similar experiences on the Sayota, or Sayota, or Yuri Rivner is a really good example. Some mm-hmm. of the people that today lead the community that shares these war stories. I know that FraudCon is finally back to Tel Aviv University after three years of a pandemic-related challenges. This year, FraudCon is back and you can definitely see that people proudly tell the stories of how they landed in the industry. So for me, it was definitely through PayPal and then amazingly Alon Shemesh, who contributed so much to this book as well, brought me to, asked me to join Forder, then Simplex. And, and finally today I'm with Double Verify, learning everything I can about ad tech fraud. That was a, a ride that if I started out with thinking that stage theater was uh, the way to tell a story. These days, I know that the real drama is definitely in fraud prevention and in analytics. Mm-hmm. You get to learn so much about human behavior Yes, in, in ways that I couldn't have imagined before. Yeah. Yes, that is something I, I say often. Like if, if have a, an appreciation for some reality television and people are like, why do you watch the garbage? And I'm like, because honestly, reality television and fraud prevention are pretty similar. Like in the fact that <laughs> you, you get to see a lot, learn a lot about human behavior. <laughs> There's a lot of sociology in both. <laughs> uh, but mentioning FraudCon, I actually um, talked about it last week or the week before in my Thursday episode, men mentioned the call for papers. So hopefully I put the link in the show notes for that one. So hopefully I can put it in this one too. So if anyone's listening and wants to participate either in the in-person or the online FraudCon War Stories, it's really fun and a labor of love for you and, and other people there in the Tel Aviv area. But now because it's been virtual, it's now international and it's so fun. It's also not just not specific to online fraud. So you get to learn about banking fraud and other pieces. You were in crypto for a long time. So just a lot of different pieces to it. That's so much fun. I've joked that because I attended the last fraud con and you and the committee were so gracious in awarding me with the Legend of E-Commerce Fraud Award that I am the running champ like for three years now. (laughs) That is true. Only because nobody else is. You will be the one and only. I actually would love to see somebody else get, you know, I'd love to see other people get. Right. You will be the only one to have a That's true. It just got, yeah, three years running. I mean, there was a pandemic, but... I just leave that for that. So anyway, details. like, yeah, right. Details. Exactly right. Not important. So I know the online fraud space in Tel Aviv is fairly a tight knit group. How did you both meet each other? You mentioned that Shoshana asked you to join her at Forder, but how did you, did you meet each other because of fraud or before that? Or I actually don't know the answer to this. 
we met at Forta. Um, oh, did you? Okay. Gilly was already there. And the Forta Television site was like this really special place. It was exciting and it was something new. And there was the sense that we could build something that would really help a lot of people who were doing really worthwhile work. And there were just a lot of very bright, very creative people in one place working on one thing at the same time. And one of the things that generated was the very lively desire to share knowledge. Mm. And Gilly was probably like one of the, the great stars in that one. She was actually working at training analyst. So it was also her job. She took me under her wing as like an extra and introduced me to the weird, wacky and wonderful word fraud. There are a lot of fraud experts, just really incredible people that are in the Tel Aviv area that have Galit Sapphora to thank as training. It's I mean, so true. Gil Rosenthal oh. was on the podcast several, a couple months Sorry, ago. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Thanks I know. For this audio and no one can see me blushing. But it's blushing, but it's so true. I mean, Gil made a point to say that you got him excited about fraud and really taught him the basics. And that was a big reason why I knew this book would be in great hands because as you mentioned, Galit, you started out with fraud sciences. And if not my listeners who haven't uh, heard of fraud sciences, they were like the one that got away to so many enterprise <laughs> merchants because there was this buzz in the industry about this new technology that was like blowing everything else out of the water. And then PayPal scooped it up before anyone else could use it for themselves. And then it became internally within PayPal. And so that's a great to train people within PayPal for so long. And then at Forder and then at Simplex, you also train a lot of people in fraud. Yeah, and I I'm think- sure now, so that's why I say that. I'm still uh, benefiting. So I now work with I, people yeah. at Identic who are trained by Gilead through a complete, like a circuitous route through a different company. And they all love her. Oh, thank you so much. I do think that Fraud Scientist was the first decision as a service that it was e-commerce mm. well. And machine and learning I, really the first attempt at that too. I agree. I agree. That's how that is uh, where I picked up on my methodology for uh, combining machine learning with uh, domain expertise. And and in a sense, if you want to know anything about the book, I think that's the gist of it. It's learning how to approach the combination of machine learning and domain expertise in ways that are practical. That's why it's called the practical product. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a lot of hand-waving and and some buzzwords in the industry that are not always practical. And Mm. we took a a very uh, practical approach to every topic that we covered. At least that was our intention. And I hope that we we got there uh, safely enough. I will say about the experience of working with Shoshana that ever since Forter, that's the, I admit, it's the the one thing that I missed so much. Mm. Even though I get to work with incredible content and marketing people in Double Verify these days, there's nothing like a person who is able and willing to dig into the, the weeds of fraud prevention technologies so wonderfully and to share that passion for educating clients that really do need to know a bit more about the industry in order to utilize your technology to its max. And that has been incredible. Shoshana, you mentioned you were employee number 42 at Ford. I did not know that, but it makes total sense. You are the, I'm going to, I'm going to mess up the double saddle spots, but is it the answer to life and everything? I am not the answer to life to everything. Why not? I can see uh, the deep thought. But I'm willing yeah, to spend all of the time trying to find the answer. 
which is the great mm-hmm. thing about working with analysts because they are too. I always have questions and they will always try and find an answer. They always have the answer, but that like fraudulent mm-hmm. factors will always look, you know. And they will always come back with the seven or eight more questions. Possible. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. It is. But it's so, so fun. It's so fun. But that does drive people that for the book as well. You're gonna be left with way more questions than you than you bargained for after reading it. <laughs> but yeah. that I think is why, like, why so many of us get along so well in front of it. Mm. The people who aren't in fraud, they'll ask a question and they'll expect a very simple answer. They'll ask a question about fraud. And I have driven some clients insane because I'm like, like the question has seven different parts, right? Like I can't say it's always going to be this way or it's always going to be that way. It's there's always going to be nuance. And to us, the details matter because that's the details are what makes a difference between a fraudulent order and just a good order that looks risky. And the details matter. And that's why we come back with so many questions. But um, speaking of the book, let's get into a little more formally. You both wrote the Practical Guide to Fraud Prevention for O'Reilly Publishing. And obviously I know a little bit about how the book came about, but why don't you, well, I guess we already talked about the origin story as far as, as that goes. But in addition to that, what was your goal for the book when you both seriously thought about it and were like, okay, we're being trusted to write this book. You shared a little bit of what the goal was. What did you guys talk about there? I think we wanted to help. Like it's not a project we would have come up with ourselves like in a million years. But once O'Reilly had suggested it through you, and I guess also with a little bit of the the context that you brought to it. <laughs> My intuition like, oh. of, I think these two are the ones. Yeah. But you said this is missing. And yeah. like I'm passing this on to you because actually I, I think it should exist. Like I think this is something people will use. And we talked about it. Actually, you know what? There are lots of different ways that this would come in handy. And mm-hmm. like between the different companies that we've worked with and all of like the merchants that we've worked with through companies, you hear so much and you get so much context. And there's so much to learn between e-commerce and banking and online marketplaces. And some there are many fraudbiters working in one of those industries who spend all of their careers in only one. Well, if, mm-hmm. if they're working in retail only within electronics, right? Only within luxury yeah. goods. And I get that in terms of specialization for sure. But there's so much value you get from seeing like the broader picture. Like I, I see this in the the round tables that identity runs. I mean, I've heard you speaking about yours in exactly the same way. Like it they how do you put it? They they seed each other, right? Mm-hmm. That's the the metaphor that you usually use. Mm-hmm. And we thought, okay, like we can put things together. We can fill in that framework for people and they'll have more. And Gilly had all of these applications. I completely agree that helping folks who were either in that position in life where they need to broaden and and feel the need to broaden their horizons about the industry that is becoming so complex with so many different genres of fraud prevention and fraud attacks. I was still in shock about the pandemic when mm-hmm. we first talked about the this project. Mm-hmm. I was I remember thinking, how am I going to keep learning with the yearly conferences yeah. and, and the networking opportunities? Because at the time, most of my resources whenever I would be tackling something new was to have some coffee yeah. with uh, a, a fellow, a colleague from a similar company 
and talk a little bit about what would be the, the possible research options that I should have in mind. And realizing that I'm not going to have that, especially at the time when we was con just considering the option of going to a different area of fraud and going into ad tech world fraud, which I have basically... I'm still picking up. That is something that I realized maybe a little bit in retrospect that our audience is both the newbies who just want to mm -hmm. learn something about fraud prevention in banking or the one-on-one, -on one-on-one sections. That's fine. But it's also for the more experienced people that have that understanding that to be effective, you have to have the big picture understanding of what else is going on because fraudsters do migrate very easily oh, yes. between verticals yeah you're so it's right something. and there's a i think there's a sense that if you haven't worked in another vertical that oh it must be so different or right. oh i don't understand it and there, there are definitely nuances from vertical to vertical and industry to industry. So if we're talking verticals, it could be from travel and e-commerce to retail, et cetera. And then industries as far as marketplace and fintech and banking and all that. But honestly, to your point, like I think that a lot of fraud is migrating. It's the lines are getting more blurry every day between it used to be that like banking fraud and e-commerce fraud, people barely had anything in common and rarely talked to each other. Now we have to and vice versa. But I also think you guys both hit on something where I think another quality of fraud fighters are that we're always learning and we never feel like we know mm -hmm. everything because we respect the fact that it's always changing. And the fact that I've been trying not to roll my eyes the couple of times that Galit has mentioned that she's still learning ad tech because you've been in it for two years, which means you more knowing you, you probably knew more about it within six months than most people that have been in it for 10 years. But <laughs> it's that we have this reverence of knowing that things are always changing and growing. And that's something I mm -hmm. love about being in fraud. I never know everything. I'm mm -hmm. so lucky to know some of the smartest people in the world. So that if I don't know something, I know who to ask. But I think that we are in awe of it in a way. We know we can never master it. And there will be people who have been in, in fraud for 20 years who I, and I know a few of them couldn't wait to order the book when it first went on pre-sale. And, and then vice versa, right? There's newer people. And that's a question I've been asked so many times over the last several years. Like, where's, is there a book that I can read? And then some of the challenges have been like, if someone were to write it, it would expire in a little while or this or that or whatever. So speaking of that, I think that maybe I come up with those excuses faster because I am terrified to write a book. Of course, I thought you two could do it, but it freaks me out. And I don't think I'm qualified, but that's like a whole other conversation. But what were the real challenges that you had in writing it rather than what I've made up in my head that I thought would be a challenge? <laughs> Impossible syndrome. Mm. Oh my mm -hmm. gosh. Yeah. yeah. And obviously I have that too. And Shoshana and I have talked about that a lot as well over the last few months. Imposter syndrome is a real thing. And especially for female fraud fighters, which obviously a side plug for fearless female fraud fighter virtual forum coming up on May 5th. But because... I recognize that in myself as well as in other people. And yeah. I know that if those of us, and it, it's not just females, there are you know, men in our industry that also have it, that I recognize if we all could just get past it or dare ourselves or whatever we have to do to move forward through it, we'll be even better fraud fighters. Terrifying, the, the lies we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
in a roundabout way uh, or maybe crazy way, I was uh, uh, relieved that I had a minor injury plus family issues halfway through the read through the book. I fell down the stairs and I was, it, it was a long story. And then that forced me to reach out to people earlier than I had anticipated and say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to type right now, but I can go on Zoom and talk. So let's do a talk and so I'll interview you a bit for this book. And that pushed me to, which I think both of us, Shoshana was so kind to, to just go with it so early. And we reached out to incredible experts in this field. I think I'm going to do some name dropping now and just yeah. but really yeah, all the, the interviews were the best thing. bit. They were amazing. Well, like you guys yeah. got to, yeah. And I got to help coordinate a few of them, but also I, yeah, we also interviewed you several times. You were very generous with oh, your time. Oh no, I'm always happy to. I I'm like critical of the fact that I didn't always respond to emails in the proper time. So you know, there's that. But yes, please do name drop because you guys did get yeah. to talk to some of the best people. Uh, I I generally I sincerely think that these people definitely the ones who we interviewed and and uh, so many more are just worth following and uh, mm -hmm. reading everything that you can that they produce because they're true experts. So we already mentioned Alon Chemish who broke me to Forder and uh, and Ken Palo, you mentioned that mm -hmm. in regards to the Jerusalem. <laughs> and Jerusalem and, and banking. Yes, yes. Uh, Ken has uh, been in banking for a, patron, a long time. A real patron to innovation in banking, fraud prevention and, and other. But we also got to talk to Mike Haley at CFAS and I'm never sure. Actually, yeah, Cyphus. I is talked it? to somebody that works there. Yeah. And he corrected me. It is Cyphus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great. And continuing to evolve as an organization. So if yes. you think you knew them five years ago, like still check them out, do cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Pioneers in innovation and in collaboration as well. And if we talk about collaboration, okay. we go back to e-commerce then co-founded the Risk Salon. Yes. That it, yeah. The LinkedIn groups are still active and very interesting there. You and got I think also the model for so much that came later. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. You got people on the academics, academic side of collaboration, mm. like brain fraud, con and cyber in general, like Professor Ritzchat Benisuel. And on MRC side, I think you got Julie Ferguson and you got Limor Kessel with her excellent Dr. Cyber Twitter page uh, profile. And on the money laundering side, you got people like Maximilian von Both, who was incredible in just explaining how he envisions fraud prevention in money laundering in ways that resonated so well with the storytelling mm. approach that we practice every day. If I go back to my sources, Nolan Nevel was mm -hmm. the first person uh, to pay me an Ohad Summit. And who has been very supportive about like Ohad the, also wrote a book. Yeah, a long, yeah, is, he's, this a is long like the time ago. Yeah, I, I had him speak at the MRC when I worked for them. This is a long time ago. And he was getting really busy and saying, well, I'm starting a new startup that's going to revolutionize collections. And I was like, okay, good luck with that. And now he has to record. But yeah, and Noam Nevea is actually a name that I just wrote down with, like about 20 minutes ago when you were talking about fraud sciences. I was like, oh, I haven't had Noam on my podcast yet. Well, oh, very intelligent people. One. Yes, he's, he we makes will. me feel like I'm in preschool when it comes to fraud prevention. Oh, he has an effect on everybody, except when they're alone in Uri. Yes, Noam and Uri. I was on a call with both of them once to talk about refund fraud when it was first starting in like, 
like August of 2020 to explain it. And just the questions they asked, I was like, wow, you're so smart. (laughs) That's why it is so great working with them. Yes. All the right questions. All about the questions. Absolutely. So, well, it's such a long list of people to thank. I think on the banking and fintech side, we, we talked to some experts like you and we we got to talk to, to Yuri Rivner, of course, and to, I think, on the compliance side to Nikki Bowman. And you have like new banking folks like Tanya Shano. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dave Laramie as well. Yeah, correct, Sam Beck. Yeah, gosh, we were so lucky, weren't we? Mm, the interviews wow. were just amazing. And there are some, there are, there are people, oh, for, tell for sure, of course, she yes, was also on yes, the panel. Yes. She's been amazing. She had some really valuable insights. There are also people we can't mention because they're not every company. Is, yeah, not, not, not every company is enthusiastic about their full fighters sharing their knowledge Probably. and has to be a little bit more private. Yep. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Interviews. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Oh, um, if we're doing this, hang on. We have to uh, shout out to Uri, who is also yes. another connection between me and Galit. And I'm they lucky to know him as well. Work together at PayPal and then I worked with him at Identix. So he's been like an extra shared mentor. And Carissa understands why. I do. He's so smart. And he was on an early version of the podcast several months That's ago right. as well. Where you're on, uh, talking about collaboration across the community and, and all of that. Yeah, there's definitely something to be said about just how amazing other people are. And just, you talk so much about collaboration and the importance of it in this book because it is so important. Mm -hmm. But this book is also a product of collaboration as well. So it really is, it demonstrates the importance at the same time as talking about it too. (laughs) Very much. And I think also the diversity of people that we had and their Mm -hmm. expertise. Like we had Ali who's at Zoom, he's on the trust and safety side. Mm Mm-hmm. So he had a different perspective on a lot of that stuff, but it was all the same. It's something we mentioned in the book that we think in terms of categories, because that's Mm. how it works in our organizations. And because just for our own sanity, we just, we have to, and we differentiate very strongly between credit card fraud and ATO, between banking and e-commerce or like Ariel Caron um, was saying, like she'd been working in like gift card industry and previously it was like, it was lending. And then now now she's she's in the market, which is a marketplace. Right. And those are all very distinct. And we still, we talk about them very differently. And if you're shifting, it's like, then there are questions that come up with that. But the fact is the fraudsters do not think that way. They do not care about our categories. They will be laughing at you. Mm -hmm. Like we, this is how we organize. They don't care for them. It's all an opportunity. They will try whatever the data is, whatever the trick is. They will try it regardless of industry, regardless of vertical. They will try ATO, they will try selling credit card for it. It just has, you know, like whatever they happen to have, you know, yeah, returns for it. Oh, so returns right. for opportunity. Cool. We'll be doing that then. And it's the same for Woodsters. And Ariel yeah. and also Elena Mifeli, who's also moved between industries. Mm-hmm. They were particularly interesting in this regard because they've moved so much. They were like, I have seen the same for Woodsters. I, yes. I, I, like I've been in this long enough. I can recognize them. I know the pattern. It's the same for Woodsters or it's the same ring. Yeah. I know it's yeah. them, even though I'm in a different industry. They don't care. Yeah, no, yeah, I've seen it, it so many personal. times. Feel like you've seen that guy before. Mm-hmm. It's you, it's you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I, gosh! I yes. thought that experience when we were talking to our expert reviewers and tech reviewers for some of the chapters, like Gil Rosenthal was amazing in mm-hmm. reviewing the credit related mm-hmm. chapters, and then where there was uh, one of the sequel code quotes that he had a really good comment about my logic to say. Yeah, over here you want account by domain, but you want 
because it, what I love about the fact that we got to talk with so many great people was that I finally had the chance to have someone who's, who was used to be part of my team back in PayPal like yeah. 15 years ago, yeah. review code for me so long. <laughs> the student long became the master. Yeah. Wow. So much nostalgia. And yes, of course, they are truly masters of their domain. So when Gil Rosenthal was able to make excellent notes about code I suggested for, for the credits chapter, I immediately had to rethink some of the suggestions I made to other chapters because mm. the, the practices and that's the, it, it is a fairly long book. I apologize for that, but I uh, think it's, that it's worth like browsing through all of the chapters because the practices mm. do translate well from industry to industry. Yeah. Mm. They do. And and combining what both of you said, Shoshana, you're absolutely right that fraudsters don't care about the silos that we've created. And that's true within industries and verticals, as well as within companies. That's why refund fraud mm -hmm. is so prolific, right? Because within e-commerce companies, customer service deals with customer service and warehouse deals with warehouse. And fraud usually is just pre-transaction within e-commerce. And then similarly to ATO, different social engineering ATO and that kind of thing, like within banking and all of that, they love the fact that we have silos because they don't, they exploit it's an them. opportunity. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then to Galit's point, like it's something that we can all learn from each other. And I have been so lucky to get to work with so many companies and lots of different verticals. And I've been able to see just one example, Account Takeover was first impacting online gaming companies. I mean, first it was banking, but from an e-commerce perspective, we were talking about this thing, right? That we were trying to figure out. And then within two years, there were retailers and other companies saying, what is happening? And then now there's been so many different iterations of Account Takeover and different methodologies and all of that as technology on both sides evolve. So I think this is an absolute gift to the industry because whether someone is in banking or fintech or lending or marketplace or e-commerce, they can learn from their sections, but then they can also learn other things to your point, Galit, like you may have been looking at something for credit, but then realizing, oh, like this can apply over here and over there. And this has been something that the industry has needed for a very long time. One of the challenges that I've heard from people when talking about writing a book, and I think I even heard someone ask this in your presentation about the or panel about the book at MRC, Shoshana, was how can you put all this stuff in public, in the public domain? And I get this critique for my podcast as well. And I have an answer that's probably going to be similar to yours. But how do you answer that question when people say, what, aren't you concerned that fraudsters are going to purchase this and just try to reverse engineer the methodologies that you provide? We were so concerned about that. It yeah. was, I think it was like the first topic of the first conversation we had after we decided to do the book was like, yep. okay, but within a month, it's going to be up on a fraudster forum and it's going to be downloaded. Like the people, the most read audience is like, it's going to be the fraudsters. <laughs> We're not going to pay for it. It's, we know, obviously. So we, yeah, it was something we took into account from the beginning with planning and O'Reilly were like, so it's an O'Reilly book. There's going to be like a, a GitHub repository with, and you can copy and paste. And we were like, let us explain to you a little bit about how our industry works <laughs> with the intelligent adversaries that we're up against. So the truth is there's always a little bit, right? If there are amateur fraudsters, if they read this, they will become more mature. Uh, that is how that works. And certainly in the last 18 months, we've seen there are many amateur fraudsters who are now mm. online and becoming. Mature, but you can't stop that happening anyway. 
And there are so many resources out there. Not having this one is not going to make a big difference to them. Mm. They will be able to evolve regardless. And not having it would be, we hope, a greater loss to the fraud industry yeah. than, than the, the corresponding gain to fraudsters. But I think, really, I think we, we planned it. It was within the structure of like how we were going to approach the suggestions, the solutions, the approaches yes, yes. rather than the steps. We mm. did. I, I do think that at the end of the day, the examples we provided, the, pra- the best practices we provided, they do still need a good piece of, of thought and work on the actual analytics team, on the actual product yes. writers yeah. team. So it's not that anything is ready-made how to defraud any particular system. And we were pretty careful about the examples in that sense as Mm -hmm. well. You don't have a how to defraud the eBay chapter or whatever. None of that sort. But Or even like steps to prevent a certain type of fraud, do A, B and C. Because, well, within a month, A, B and C will no longer work for you. So let's not do that. Let's talk about the approaches that you need and the mindset that you need and different techniques yeah. that you can utilize. Yeah, I agree. I think that after working for the last two years at Double Verify and seeing how a fraud lab can effectively recreate a fraud attack and duplicate what we're seeing in the database from the perspective of the fraudster, I think that some fraudsters are definitely going to be smart enough to use this book for their purposes. But I agree with Shoshana, the value of having this is higher than the risks of providing it to the dark side. I completely agree. And those are very similar to answers I give as well. Neither of us in either of the works that we've done, whether it's my podcast or your book or other articles that we've written or presentations we've done virtually that are now on YouTube, like all of those things. We're not giving the recipe. We're talking about, hey, once your bread has risen, maybe think about this. I mean, if I'm just using that analogy a little more, we're not saying first do this, then do that, then do that. Also, if anyone spends even a little bit of time, dark web, telegram, discord, et cetera. And, and I find that most of the people who ask that question, are you afraid? They've never seen what's available on the other side. Have you read Bob's Guide? Yeah, right. Or the fraud Bible or in in one copy, in one version of the fraud Bible a few years ago, it was talking about using a well-known fraud prevention provider that provided free credits uh, to look up if an IP was on the universal negative list and it was just available for everyone. I definitely did my part to reach out to everyone I knew there and be like, "Uh, you may want to change this business model because you could just pay a certain number of credits and just get access to the portal. And so like, it's a very valid concern, but there are some things that I will never share publicly. There are some aspects because we do have a little bit of an edge in some ways, but we have very little edge. And so if there is anything that I know I have never seen anywhere else. And I know that if they knew this or that, it would be disastrous. I just won't say it. As much as people think I talk a lot, which I do, I'm pretty good at editing myself. And I think to your both of your points, it's absolutely true that we have to, the alternative is to not share. The alternative is to not per, put this information out there. And the alternative is for fraud fraudfighters to not feel connected to each other and not feel informed. And, you know, and then that, the fraud says just win so ex- much more. Exactly right. So it's, something you have to be conscious of, but it shouldn't stop you. You just know, okay, we're not going to do this and this, but we are going to do this. And they figure out, they figure it out. But 
fraudsters are also reading white papers from vendors and looking at this and that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, so we can fault everyone who's great if we really wanted to be. They're looking at who's using who. They're very smart. So we no. can't use yeah. that. We can't use that as an excuse to not educate ourselves and others. And you know what? I have this notion that if our book, I know that the book is supposed to be on Walmart and places like that. It's really come <laughs> very publicly out there. So I can sort of imagine a scenario where someone who is going through financial turmoil with all the general turmoil that's going on these days in in EU, in, in the US, everywhere, really. Mm-hmm. If there's any chance that just a glimpse of this practical fraud prevention title goes to someone who is on the road to becoming an amateur fraudster. First party fraud is becoming such a huge deal. Amateur fraudsters are becoming the majority of this population that Mm -hmm. we're talking about fighting. So if any of this can help democratize a bit for the practice and the profession of fraud prevention mm. and we will have we would have more people coming in to join this global task force of fraud prevention then it would be such an honor to mm. to think that we have a part in this yeah so not brave. enough people know about this profession but yeah. how many people I, do you know, think got it, fell into it on purpose right <laughs> Very few. Uh, I mean, I actually know a a handful or a little more than a handful of people and not all of them are well known. I mean, there's a couple people who they started out doing carding and other credit fraud and other pieces like that. And now they're the head of fraud at a very recognizable company. And that company has no idea that's what they did first. There's a few people I can think of right off the top of my head. Yeah, that started out that way to Galit's point. And then uh, they fell into fraud prevention and it gave them a purpose. And while the pay certainly isn't as good, we have purpose, we have community, we have the sense of pride in what we do that just you can't put a price tag on. We have the best community. I agree For- with that. So Now that the book is complete and is starting to be read by online fraud fighters internationally, it's so fun for me when I see people post pictures of it on LinkedIn and it's just starting (laughs) to get shipped out. And I I know the feeling of, oh, I worked on this thing, but I wasn't thinking about people reading it or or listening to it or reacting to it. What do you hope that they think about differently or apply in their quest to better understand the science and study of online fraud prevention after reading through the book? I think. The thing I would really love people to get from this is I think there's always a lot of focus on the tools and the tech and the analytics because that's generally the draw, right? Like that's what you actually want to be doing as a thought fighter. And something that came across to us very clearly through the interviews, which was not something we planned to include when we planned the outline, but that came out through many interviews was that in order to succeed for, not for you to succeed as a fraud fighter, but for the fraud prevention team in your company to succeed, you have to be able to educate the rest of the company, especially upper management, but not only upper management. There are many departments who interact with you or are impacted by your work or who impact you with their work, like depending on where they they sit in the the (laughs) gas funnel. Downstream. Yeah. (laughs) Not that I'm complaining. I do love marketing team. Marketing. Yeah, you are. Sometimes, Sometimes the relationship could stand to be a little bit more synced up maybe yes. between marketing, mm-hmm. product and marketing, CS and marketing, logistics and marketing, returns and marketing. And I see, and like fraud prevention, you need all of these. You need all of your ducks in a row. And I get the frustration because mm-hmm. the 
the problems are not are never caused by the protein. They're always dealing with the consequences and the consequences get thrown into their lap. Yes. And then people are like, but where did those charge packs come from? Why, where, why are because the returns going crazy? Because you me you were changing the business like, model or this. You didn't tell me we weren't this, training exactly. market. Yeah. You didn't say we were going to have a promotion. But and I, I, I really do yeah. some. Yeah, we opened a Kalisa a month ago. Didn't we tell you? Mm. <laughs> um, like, I, I really get the frustration from that. Mm-hmm. But, and, and I really, really sympathize. But the fact is, it's became very clear to our interviews that yes. like it's on us it's on mm-hmm. the fraud people it's on the fraud fighters not only the team leaders on the rest of the team as well mm-hmm. you have to go out you have to educate people when you show them that you're on their side you're all working for the same goals why the work that you do is important that you're protecting the business and trying to increase revenue you're all part of the same project they start letting you know about things like, oh, we have a new payment method. We're introducing a new market. What yeah. do you think about that? What do I need to know? Mm-hmm. First, Holly, Holly Samuk said this, I think it was actually at one of the, one of the roundtables, one of the identity roundtables a few months ago. She said she knew she'd achieved success with this when she was introduced. She happened to be in a group of people. One of them, she didn't know they were new to the company. And one of her colleagues from a different department introduced her as, oh, hey, this is Holly. She stops all the thieves from stealing from us. Yeah, she's great. And yeah. she was like, I, like, I think, like, it, yeah. like, drop, I'm done now. Like, yes, I, they I understand what I, I do. It. Yeah, yeah. I think actually, only because I've heard her say this before, I think it was she helps stop people from stealing from our customers to have a good experience right. or something right. like that. Cause she's an event yeah, ticketing. She tied it into the customers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she was like, yeah, customers, they get it. Like our customers to enjoy their experience. Yeah. hundred percent. And they felt, and you know, like the customers are feeling safe in now. She'd been a patch for 10 years at that point. It could take a while. No, I mean, yeah, but for sure it's a long-term project, yeah. which is one of the things I think that's frustrating. Oh yeah. And it's not the reason that anyone gets into fraud prevention. No. But the fact we is like, better yeah, if you don't invest and you're not going to get the resources, you're not going to get the knowledge, you're not going to be part of those crucial conversations, you won't have the impact that you deserve to have in mm. your organization. And they deserve it. Like these four teams are full of fantastic, clever people yes. who are really good at their job. They deserve to have maximum impact. And sometimes right. it's constrained by stupid things. Yeah, like yeah. That. And there are definitely some companies that have cultures where they just want to put their fingers in their ears and not listen. But Legit. to your point, if my listeners have listened to me on other podcasts, I, I talk about this quite often, that it is on us. We can't expect other people yeah. to and understand how important we are. We can't expect people to not look at us like chicken little if we don't explain why we think the sky is falling and what pieces, what data, what information, what an- analysis mm-hmm. we've done tying it back to the book, what analysis and data we've done to paint the picture, to share the story, to explain the impact on our good customers, to explain the impact on our bottom line, to know the language of each department and share it with them as it ties to their KPIs Mm -hmm. and or your company's overall goals. Hey, I know our company wants to hit this mark in order to do that. Here are some of the things that could threaten that. And we want to help with that kind of thing. It is so important. And I think that it is something that often gets underestimated by people, especially most of the people that create content within our industry are solution providers. And so if they haven't been on the ground, if they haven't been talking to people who have been on the ground in a merchant environment, in a bank environment, fintech marketplace, et cetera, they may not realize how big of a factor this is. And how maybe when we're at a conference, the fraud department of X company gets treated like rock stars. But when they're back at their company, 
not really treated as same level of rock stars, not even close. So that's a great point. Galit, what did, what was something that surprised you from the book or what do you hope that people will take from the book? the impact it'll have. Well, I was just going to say that Shoshana's reply was so perfect. And to be honest, I'm still in denial about the fact that it's out there and it feels very exposed. (laughs) People are reading it. Barely got through the experience of having uh, Ori and Ben, our husbands, reading through this and providing excellent comments. But both of your cups of tea on holy hours of the night. Both of your husbands do deserve a (laughs) shout out because both of you, you both have two fairly young children. You both have (laughs) full-time jobs that are, you know, very demanding and important and that you put your whole selves into. And on top of that, for 22 months, you wrote this book at night during a (laughs) pandemic, during an international pandemic, for God's sake. Like, can we add anything else to it? Oh, let's not. Yeah, we could, but let's not. Yeah, we, well, actually, there was also some some violence in Israel during that time too. Actually, if we really were, yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that because I was on the phone right. with one of you and heard a bomb background. Oh yeah, that's sorry, going off. Don't worry about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's normal to you guys. To me, I was like, what is happening? So yeah, there was a lot going on, and you still did it. But both of you have just the most supportive husbands, and I'm very grateful to have one as well. And I think they're the ones that allow us to fly. But really, yeah. their belief in us helps with the imposter syndrome as well. And but also wrangling children and and doing all of that is just it, mm-hmm. it's commendable. Um, I know that when Ori told me that my husband said yeah. that one of the chapters, I think specifically on the machine learning chapters, he said that was a really fun read. Wow, that was a great moment for oh. us. <laughs> oh, I was I made, so nervous about that one as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talking about machine learning fun. Okay, sweet. Jack. Yes. The word we fun want it to be is comprehensible. important. Because, yes. yeah. And then immediately said, yeah, that's thanks to Zach and Gali and the, right. the interview for this one. Yeah, they were but, amazing. Uh, I, and then, of course, but I think that the fact that we didn't try to make the book fun, we had the uh, funny quotes woven through it and we made sure that we uh, tell the stories just like the way that we would to to a teammate or to mm-hmm. an analyst that we want to train. I think that's the thing that I would very much hope for that the, that any content that we produce is helpful to someone, uh, whether they're training or learning for their own recreation or intellectual game. That's a big plus for my side. And you that's are, all thanks to Shoshana for being a fun person to, to write with and an awesome It writer. was fun. Yeah. So you're ready for it book It was a lot of work, but it was fun. In then five years time, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's wait a little bit. I, both of on. you are such good storytellers and so good at explaining complex things in easy to understand ways. It's fun for me to see and not trying to make it about me at all, but to see my intuition, my gut of, of all the people I know in the industry, who do I think would do this book justice? And it was you both. And I don't want to get choked up or cry or anything. It just was for lots of reasons. Part of it, I didn't even dissect. I just have learned to trust my gut over the years. But I think it's because you're both so good at explaining complex things in an easy to understand way. 
and you've seen a lot of different types of fraud and you've talked to so many different people and you live in an epicenter of incredible smart people in fraud as well. And so that helps. But I'm just so proud of you both. And it's really fun for me to see people excited about reading it. I just was talking to a friend who said she ordered it for herself and read two chapters and then ordered copies for the rest of her team because she was like, this is what we've needed. And you're going to be hearing a lot of those. So we all need to practice on receiving it and taking it in. My husband would say sit in it, but I don't like to sit in compliments. They make me uncomfortable. The person you're talking about actually is really good at that. She's just so graceful with it. I'm going to take her for a model, like actually (laughs) in lots of ways, like presenting and receiving feedback. I'm going to try and do it like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's we have yeah. It so anyway, I know it is late both of your times because I'm on the West Coast. There's 10 hours between us. So I'm gonna let you both go. But thank you so much for talking about the book. Thank you for creating this book for our industry and for really demonstrating the importance of education and collaboration in book form. And for just being two of my favorite people. I really, I'm very glad that everyone else has gotten to hear how great you are and hopefully we'll connect with you on LinkedIn and I'll put all the links in the show notes so they can find you um, and obviously order the book. Carice, thank you so much for the opportunity, the podcast and the book, which would never have happened without you. <sighs> you did all the work. I literally just sent an email and made a connection. I think my job was the easiest. <laughs> yeah, and then you were there for lots of like calls where we were like, okay, friendly fraud. What, how did that start? What was happening in 2008? Grace, what's going on? <laughs> and Whenever then I, I could be the fraud historian, you just let me know. <laughs> oh, thanks again, you guys. We'll talk to you soon. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.